You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. On Orphan Sunday, a very special day for us as a church, we celebrate Orphan Sunday along with all uh, churches all over the globe today, recognizing this is a very, very special day. And today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, and we're just going to look at four verses, 4 through 7. It's on page 566, but you don't actually have to turn there if you don't want to, because we're going to have the verse right up here on the screen behind me. And uh, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of churches who have lost their way, and the reason they've lost their way is they have lost uh, their grasp of the important truth of adoption, I've heard it said that you know how well you grasp the gospel is uh, how well you grasp the concept of adoption and being adopted. Well, this church had lost their way because after the Apostle Paul had preached the gospel to them and told them about their adoption and uh, told them about all that Jesus had done to fulfill the law for them, there were people that had come behind the Apostle Paul, which often happens when people share the gospel. People have People came behind the Apostle Paul and they said, yes, Jesus has accomplished a lot, but there are certain aspects of the law that you need to continue to do in order to be justified. And it left them in a very precarious place. It left them in a place of doubt. It left them uncertain about what their standing truly was with God. I mean, Paul preached uh, one thing, but now something else is being taught to them. And, and they were very nervous and they were very doubtful and they had lost their joy. So the Apostle Paul writes the whole book of Galatians to restore to them the truth of the gospel and in turn restore their joy. And my great joy today is that I get to remind some of you today of the gospel. And I get to remind many of you and all of us really of the joy of being adopted by God. And so right here behind me, Galatians 4, 4 through 7 is going to be behind us. And uh, actually it starts... It doesn't start with, and because you are sons, it, there's a passage before that. Do we have that or no? If we don't have it, why don't we just clear it off and we'll just go page 566. How about you look, at all, look, look on your actual uh, paper Bible. This thing is called paper, and uh, it's a physical thing that you can hold. So just go there, page 566, and we'll start in verse 4. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Three things I want us to see from Galatians 4, 4 through 7. I believe the Apostle Paul's burden is to show that church, and I believe it's the Lord's burden to show us what God has done for us, in us, and to us through adoption. What God has done for us, in us and to us, all through adoption. Let's pray. 
Lord, we lean into your word now. Your word is truth. Our feelings are not truth, but your word is truth. And your word, your truth sets us free. So as we lean into your word, Lord, have your way in our hearts and in our minds and our will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's first look at what God has done for us through adoption. And you'll see that on verse 4. Notice the words. But when the fullness of time had come. That's a very important way for the Apostle Paul to summarize all that had gone on among the people of God waiting for deliverance, waiting for a Messiah. It's poetic language. It's pregnancy language. The world was pregnant with expectation of a Savior and counting down the days for a Messiah. The term had gone really long and waiting and waiting and waiting for a rescue. And when that rescue had come, when the time was up, when the term was fulfilled, when the days were done, God does something. Do you see that? God sent forth his son in verse 4. It starts with God. God is the initiator. The father is the initiator of the rescue. This is the father going on mission to rescue us. The theological word for that is the missio dei. It's the father sending the son in verse 4. And you'll see that same idea echoed in verse 6. Notice, God has sent the spirit of his son. So the father sends the son in verse 4. And that same idea is repeated in verse 6. God the father has sent the spirit of his son. So the father is on mission to rescue us. Jesus doesn't operate independently. He's not the sole rescuer of this operation. The Father sends the Son. And then the Father sends the Spirit of His Son. We have a Father on rescue mission for us. He cares about us. He loves us. And so it starts with His heart of rescue, His heart of love, sending forth, sending forth the Son, verse 4 tells us. But you'll see some other things are repeated there too in in verse 4. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Do you see those two things repeated? Born and born, and then under the law, and under the law. So we have it up here on the screen. So born is repeated twice, and under the law is repeated twice. Why is the Apostle Paul repeating himself? Well, Take the first phrase there. Born is repeated twice because the Apostle Paul wants us to know something very specific about the Son of God. The theological word for this is the incarnation. It is God the Son, the eternal Son, becoming fully human without becoming less God. Or when he became human, he's not quite human. This is the eternal Son, fully God, becoming fully fully human. As one author wrote, he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. It should shock us that the eternal son would be born of woman. And the apostle Paul wants to remind the Galatian church, listen, your savior was born into this world like you were. God came into the world the same way you came into this world physically in the person of Jesus. And that is absolutely shocking. Listen, it's still shocking to contemporary religions to this day. 
It's shocking and even called blasphemous to imagine God entering into our world this way. But this is the way that he came into the world, fully human without sacrificing any of his godness. The Apostles' Creed uh, summarizes this this way. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that's fully God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, fully human, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. That's the fullness of time. That, that's, that's this time. This is this time period that Paul is talking about. This happened. He's reminding them this just happened. So look also in verse 4. He's born of woman, but he's born under the law. Not over the law, not around the law, not creating a new law. The Son of God places himself under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Christ does not rescue us by abolishing anything. That would be to oppose his own standards. He also does not come to establish a new law. Don't, don't hear language like new covenant as if he established a new law. No, he didn't come to establish a new law uh, as other contemporary religions would teach. He came to fulfill the law by placing himself under the law. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Do you remember him saying that? I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Well, now, why does Jesus need to fulfill the law? Why does he need to fulfill them? Well, he needs to fulfill them because there's a problem in verse 5. If you've ever taken a photo of a big group and then you've looked at the photo later and you said, well, where am I in the photo? Where you and I are in the photo of Galatians is in verse 5. If you can go back to verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. We are under the law. That's us. Those. That word those, that's where we are. We, we populate that word. We are the ones under the law who have not fulfilled the law. And Christ, who does not need to fulfill the law in and of himself, places himself under the law to fulfill the law for those who are under the law who have not been able to keep the law. You could be here today and say, well, what is the big deal with the law? I thought Christianity wasn't all about law. I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, God gave us laws to stay in a loving relationship with him. That's why the, the psalmist would say, oh, how I love your law. They would say things like that because the law is good. The law creates the boundaries that we need to stay in covenant with him, to stay in relationship with him. But Adam and Eve did not keep God's law. They chose to live outside of the law and chose to live in independency from God. And that cut them off from the life of God and it brought them into judgment. And you and I, just like Adam and Eve, have walked right out of that law and try to create our own law unto ourselves and live in independency from God. And that's incurred judgment and death for ourselves. Take the Ten Commandments. All of us have had other gods before us. You are no exception to this. All of us have bowed down to them, served them with our time and our effort and our energy. We've worshipped them. All of us have misused the name of the Lord our God, just completely disregarded that. That's just the first three. And in breaking those first three commandments, 
We've broken all the rest of them as well. None of us have honored our father or our mother the way we're supposed to. All of us have hated people and in essence murdered them from our hearts. That's what Jesus said. All of us have committed adultery of some kind, whether that is physical or imagined or same-sex or opposite sex, we all have a sexual brokenness about us. And you are no exception to that. All of us have stolen, and then we've lied about it. All of us have coveted things that we don't have. We've coveted our neighbor's house, and we've coveted our neighbor's wife, and we've coveted our, uh, their servants and our, their ox and donkey and anything that belongs to our neighbor, we were told not to do. Now, that's just a summary of all kinds of things in this world that we long for, that God hasn't given to us, that we are unsatisfied in what God has given, and we've coveted other things. So we have failed to love God. We have operated outside of his rules and outside of his boundaries. And if you could be honest with your own heart and come to that place of realization that I have failed to honor God by keeping his law, you are in essence acknowledging that you have succeeded in loving darkness and evil instead. And the painful predicament of the scripture is that it teaches that whatever you love, you become. That's why in John chapter 3, just a couple verses after the famous John 3.16, it says the verdict is this. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. That's us. We're under the law, loving darkness instead of the light. It's, it's a terrible predicament. First John tells us anyone who breaks God's law by hating brother or sister, and in essence not loving neighbor, is in the darkness. And walks around in the darkness. And they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. We're in it. We walk around in it. And we stumble on things and stumble into one another because the darkness has blinded our eyes. So listen, we're heading right into Advent season. Right into the Christmas season. And this is the great hope of Christmas. This is the message that Isaiah had way back in chapter 9 when he said, listen, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What is the dawning of the light? What is the light that's coming into this place of deep cavernous darkness? It's right there in verse 5. It's the Savior coming into our darkness to redeem those who were under the law. We are under the law. We have failed to keep the law. We are in darkness. Christ comes to redeem those who are under the law by fulfilling the law perfectly and completely. To redeem means to purchase back the debt of those who have broken the law. That's what Christ does. Christ purchases back the debt. He takes our debt. He purchases the debt on the cross. Now, have you ever had a debt go to collections? 
nervous laughter because you, you have. I have had my debt go to collections a few times in my life. And that is so uncomfortable. It's like, man, Target, Target and I were such good friends. And then all of a sudden we're not friends anymore. You know, Bed Bath & Beyond, we were, we were buddies. We were tight. We were so tight. We were good friends. They sent a couple of letters and I, I failed to pay my debt. And suddenly this third party is calling and it's not Target, it's not Bed Bath & Beyond, it's somebody else with a really angry tone in their voice. And uh, your debt got purchased, uh, but it, it got purchased but not paid off. And you are still in debt to this other agency who bought your debt and is after collecting it. The first time I, I really encountered this was in college. I had a roommate, his name's Trey. Trey was, uh, was heavily involved in his fraternity. And he was trying to buy up his uh, friendships by just per- putting everything on his credit card. And so he did. He, he went to parties and it was kind of all drinks on me, guys. And he was miserable, but just trying to, trying, to, uh, trying to purchase friendship and popularity. And so he ran up this incredible bill. But in the midst of all this, he hears the gospel, hears about life in Christ, hears about forgiveness, turns his life over to Jesus. And he's a whole new creation. He, he, uh, he starts witnessing to his, his fraternity brothers. And uh, anyway, we met each other. We ended up uh, uh, rooming together for a while. Well, this was before cell phones, and so we had one landline in the apartment, and uh, all his debt went to collections, and so collection people start calling our apartment all the time, and uh, you always knew who it was. They would ask for Trey, and we'd, we'd find him, and, he, and then Trey would get on the phone, and he would just hear this harassing, I hope it's not like this anymore, this harassing voice on the other end of the line, and it would go day after day after day, just, just harassing. And it was amazing to us to see this guy receive these phone calls and, and receive this harassment with just utter peace. He would sit there and uh, he would just sit there and say, I hear you. Uh-huh. Yes. I owe that debt. Yes. And just in between bites of cornflakes say, I can't pay what I don't have. I can't pay what I don't have. He'd say it over and over again. I'm sorry. I can't pay what I don't have. Now, eventually he did pay what he, dealt, what he didn't have, but uh, it, was, it was the voice and it was the countenance of a person who had been forgiven of a far greater debt that was living in that forgiveness and, and realizing that Jesus paid the debt of his sin because Jesus had it and Jesus paid it. And do you realize that of yourself? Christ on the cross purchased your debt and purchased all the harassment of your debt that it incurred and paid it in full and it is finished. Now, why did he do that? Look at, look at the next phrase. Why did he purchase? Why did he redeem? He did it so that. So it doesn't stop with just the ransom. It doesn't stop, stop with just the redemption. Does, I, think we, I think it's the next, next slide. We can have it up here. Oh, it is on the bottom. Sorry, my bad. It's on the other one. Okay. He did it so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ladies, don't stumble over that. This is not just talking about guys. This is men and women. This is sons and daughters. Jesus pays the debt. He goes under the law. He fulfills the law perfectly. He loves God perfectly. He loves neighbor perfectly to ransom us 
so that we could receive something. And that receiving is adoption. Now, adoption meant in the first century the same thing that adoption means today. It's legally taking another's child, another person's biological child, and bringing it up exactly as one's own. In other words, there's no difference. It's, they are part of the family. It's not kind of like they're in the family. No, they're 100% in the family, even though you don't share any DNA. So listen, it's a legal thing. Adoption is a very legal thing. You have to sign legal documents. You have to stand before a judge and say, I will, and I promise. And you have to, you have to pay uh, quite a bit of, of uh, financial legal fees in order to adopt. It's an expensive process. So it's very legal, but it's also very loving. It's true then and it's true now. These two ideas all wrapped up into this one idea of adoption. So my oldest is adopted. And right now I have signed legal papers that prove Sam is mine. If you want me to show you the legal papers, we can go home today. We can go up into the attic. We can find the box that they are located in. And I can show you the legal documents. And, and prove it. If somebody ever said, you know, I never heard any, uh, any positive uh, sounds from a football field about a tumbrella out on the football field. There's no way he's your son. <laughs> I could say, well, that's true, but he is my son because I can show you the legal documents up in my attic to prove it. So it's legal. Can't take him from me. He's, he's mine. It's legal. I have had people look at me like, what? Who is this guy? And I've said, I'm, I'm his daddy, you know, I'm his dad. Thank you very much. And I have legal papers to prove it. But I don't just have legal papers. I have a relationship with a son, and I could point him to you. I could say, go talk to him. I have a son who loves me, and I love him, who has brothers and a mom, and he is loved the same as any other kid is loved. And he will tell you about our relationship. And I could tell you about our relationship. I don't have to go to the legal documents. I can show you picture after picture after picture after picture after picture after picture of a living relationship that has taken place for years and years, for 14 years now. So that's what adoption is. There's this legal aspect to it, but there's this loving family aspect to it as well. Now that's, that's us. That's what God has done for us. He has legally brought us into a family where we are loved fiercely and eternally. And that relationship doesn't break or sever. Nobody can take you out of that legal place through the cross of Jesus Christ and through faith in him. On the cross, Jesus paid a legal price. Listen, on the cross, he paid a legal price to bring us home to the Father where we are loved with the very love with which Jesus is loved. That's, that's adoption. That's the gospel. That's what God has done for us. But let, let, let's look at verse 6. Not only has he done that for us, he has also done something in us through adoption. God has done something in us. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons... And that's very important because the Apostle Paul wants to say, listen, don't lose sight of the first part of that. Verse 5, you've received adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God's done something even uh, more amazing. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, 
Abba, Father. So this is the essence of what it means to be born again. God sends the very spirit of his son, the very spirit of Jesus. That's why in the other places it's, it's summarized as Christ himself coming to dwell in our hearts. There's unmistakable of what is being described here because the spirit himself is crying out something very intimate to God as father. Now, Jesus taught, Jesus said, this is how you're supposed to pray. When you pray, say, father. It's just shocking. It was shocking to the ears of the disciples. We're supposed to approach a holy God and call him father? The way I talk to my father at home? Jesus said, this is how you pray. This is how disciples pray. Moreover, He sends the very spirit of his son into our hearts to do it for us when we can't do it. When we can't think of the words or mutter the words. Listen, this is enlivening power, living power, living life in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. This is spoken of in other places of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul loved to speak of this in Romans For instance, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, we don't have to just worry about our own sort of emotional stance. Listen, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And it's one significant way that we are assured of our relationship with God and of our faith in God is this crying out, Abba, Father, this kind of spontaneous dependence upon God that just happens sometimes without our even uh, consciously being aware of it. It just happens, this crying out to God, this love of God, this desiring God, this this conviction of sin and desiring to move away from that and move towards God. That's, that's the life of God in the soul of man. Charles Spurgeon uh, assured his people uh, about this very thing in, uh, in one of his sermons. He said this. It's up here on the screen. He says, I once knew a good woman who was the subject of many doubts. And when I got to the bottom of her doubt, it was this. She knew she loved Christ, but she was afraid he did not love her. Let me just pause right there before you read the rest of it. Does that describe you? That may describe you today. You know you love Christ, but you have these fears that he does not love you. Listen to what Spurgeon said. Oh, I said... That is a doubt that will never trouble me, never by any possibility, because I am sure of this, that the heart is so corrupt naturally that love to God never did get there without God's putting it there. Do you hear what he says? The heart is so corrupt that you're not going to naturally love God. God put it there. You may rest quite certain that if you love God, it is the fruit and not a root 
It is the fruit of God's love to you and did not get there by the force of any goodness in you. You may conclude with absolute certainty that God loves you if you love God. We should walk out of this place dancing in the streets today. Literally dancing in the streets. That, that <laughs> despite my doubts, despite my questions, that if I love Christ, I didn't put that love there. That's the Spirit of God crying out on my behalf, loving God. Now, faith alone saves us. Make, I want to make sure you understand that. Spurgeon's not saying that love saves us. Faith alone saves us. But the fruit of faith is love. And it comes out spontaneously uh, all the time. So listen, today it's possible to hear the voices of doubt louder than that cry of the Spirit to your Father. But maybe you just need to silence those voices, to mute the voices of doubt so that you can adequately hear the cry of the Spirit to your Father, saying, Abba, Father, I trust you, Father, I need you, Father, have mercy on me, Father, those kinds of expressions of faith. This is what God does in us through adoption. But notice verse 7, it doesn't stop there. It's like the Apostle Paul never just stops with one awesome thing. He just keeps rolling. So look, God also does something to us through adoption. So listen. So he summarizes that whole thing. What God's done for us in Jesus, what God has sent in us through the Spirit, And then he summarizes it this way. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son or daughter, then an heir through God. Now again, this idea of being an heir of God is throughout the New Testament, Paul relishes in the idea that if we are adopted, truly adopted, and in the family of God, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He said this in Romans, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What does it mean to be an heir? It means you have legal rights to an inheritance. It's it's like this. Your father has left an inheritance for you. And you don't know fully what that inheritance is yet or the full scope of that inheritance, but you got something coming to you. And this should alleviate so many fears that we have of missing out. Does anybody here in the room ever get plagued with the idea of missing out on something? I know I do. I mean, we live in a world where we have so much at our disposal, so many experiences that we can have that the rest of the world can't have, and yet we still live with these fears that I'm going to miss out on something. And we're told this over and over again, that we need to save appropriately and do this and go on these vacations and all this kind of stuff and make so much money because we are so afraid of missing out. And I think I can stand on the word of God and tell you that if you are in Christ, listen to me right now, you will not miss out on anything. You are not going to miss out on any 
wonderful, beautiful, glorious thing if you are a co-heir with Christ. Well, why is that? That is because whatever is coming to Jesus is coming to you. Whatever is coming to Jesus is coming to you. That's what it means to be a co-heir with Christ. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Best answer I've ever heard. I have no idea, but I can't wait. I have no, I have, I have no full idea of what that means. But it is in the Bible, and I believe it, and it is coming, and I cannot wait to see it. And you and I are not going to miss out on anything. On what authority can the Apostle Paul say this? He can say this on the authority that the Father sent forth his Son. That's the authority that he can say that on. And that the Father sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. That's the authority that he can stand and say, you are an heir of God and an adopted, loved son and daughter of God. So let me close with this encouragement. Listen, today, if you are in Christ, you placed your faith in Christ, you are adopted, and you are loved with a fierce, everlasting, legal love of a perfect father that is going to go nowhere Jesus told the story of the father who waited for his prodigal son to come home. You could be leaving town in your heart. Maybe you're here physically, but in your heart, you're you're leaving town and you are a prodigal. Do you know that the father stared out waiting for the son to return with the same love, the same fierce love that was demonstrated to the son when the son returned and came home to him. If you're adopted, you're loved with an everlasting love. The Spirit of God will help you and often, many times in a single day, helps us return back to the Father. The Father who rejoices over us with gladness, Zephaniah tells us, who quiets us by his love and who exalts over us with loud singing. The Spirit helps us return to that place, to be reminded of that place, and to go back, to come to our senses, and to go back home to our Father where we are loved and protected and known. That is what the Spirit of God is always doing in our hearts. Let me close with this encouragement. If, uh, if we are adopted, think about, think about this. Adopted people adopt people. That's, that's what adopted people do. So adoption is not just for the most gifted or the most burdened or the most qualified or any of that stuff. Adoption is for people who have been adopted. If we've been adopted, it makes natural sense that we would look out on the margins of society and adopt and pull people into the family of God. Before leaving India, William Carey, the, the famous missionary to India, told his friend, Andrew Fuller, who was staying back to help him and support him, he said this, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. I know sometimes that's only used in the context of thinking about cross-cultural missions, and right, rightfully so. But do you, do you realize that... Uh, that same heart of sacrifice can be seen at a local level right here in this church when families go across 
go down into the scary, go down or out into the uncomfortable and, and bring somebody in, somebody close, somebody home, whether through foster care or through adoption. And what we want to say as a church is if you're in that place, wherever you're at in that place, we want to come alongside you and hold the ropes for you. If you go down into the pit, okay, I know that's bad imagery. (laughs) If you go into the scary place, into the place where you're going to need some people to come around you through fostering or through adoption, we will hold the ropes for you. We will help you. Okay, so we, our deacon of orphan care, Diane Shaw, is, I'm not even kidding around, one of the most qualified people in North Dallas to help one person take the next step in the process into the journey of fostering and adoption. She is an expert on all the resources available to you. She knows all the players around town that can help you take the next step. And maybe it's not to foster, or maybe it's not to adopt. Maybe it's just to to, to do respite or to come along families in our church that are adopting. So that's a resource to you. That's a rope to you. Please take advantage of that. Our Generations Fund, we're receiving our Generations Fund uh, these these Sundays. 10% of our Generations Fund go to hold the ropes for people to, who are looking to foster and adopt. For those who are looking to adopt, we are holding the ropes of that Generations Fund. We've, we've got money right now in that Generations Fund for any family that is exploring adoption. So adopted people adopt people. And lastly, I want to say this. Maybe you're hearing all of this and you're saying, man, I want in on the joy that the Apostle Paul is reminding people of. I went in on that. I went in on that. And I've never trusted in Jesus. And I've never received that kind of spirit crying out from inside of me. Well, here's the promise. To all who did receive him, that's Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right, he gave the legal right to become children of God for those who believe him and receive him. So let's close with prayer that way. Lord, we thank you for the reality of those who have believed in your son and received him. You give the right to become children of God, that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And we thank you that in that place we are known and loved eternally. We are secure. We are protected. And and we even have a place of mission to to express that care and that love for those all around us. We lift up those who are in, uh, in need right now. Those who are in need of being adopted. Those who are in the foster care system. For the brokenness of that whole that whole thing, and yet for the people who are standing in the gap, caseworkers and people who are doing the best they can in a very difficult situation. And so, Lord, on this day, we, we give all of those truths to you. We thank you that adoption reminds us of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.